Hello and welcome to Readings from Tokyo Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Atkinson. Uh, today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We'll be reading the first chapter of a novella by Dave Mathis, titled Mercy. Uh, first of all, I'd like to thank Dave for giving me permission to be able to read this on the podcast. And over the next 10 episodes, we will be reading a chapter per episode. So thank you very much for that, Dave. Um, First of all, before we get into that, let's thank our sponsor for today, Feral Publications. They are currently working on Feral Comics, which is a monthly comic book zine filled with cartoonists from all around the world. And the great thing about Feral Comics is um, they are paying their cartoonists per page. So if you are a cartoonist and want to get involved, then contact them on uh, YouTube or Instagram at Feral Publications. Contact Rich and tell him that I said hi. Thank you very much, Rich, for your support. Okay, let's get into it. Mercy, a novella by Dave Mathis. Chapter 1. Bransford. People always start out with courage. And they'll call it other things too. Bravery, fortitude, stalwartness. They start out that way. They think, why not? Why not? Why not? What happens to them after that little moment of delusion is always the same, or one of a million variations of the same. Body becomes mangled. After being raped by a dozen junkies, they're skinned or burned, stabbed in the gut with something rigid and sharp, their insides pulled out and eaten, or strung up like ornaments. Their bones are torn from their flesh and shaved down into unrecognizable shapes to be used for armor or regalia or tribe signals to ward off those who'd dare venture that same courage. You can hear them sometimes, if you are still and don't move. The walls of Brantford offer their share of protection, but in the late afternoons, in the early evenings, in the dark nights, they aren't enough to silence them. The air shakes with their screams and screeches, mingled among fits of laughter, cackling and bowling. And then the air falls quietly back down to a dull roar of wind gusts and sand swirls. And there's one less mouth to worry about feeding. Death is never farther away than a cold winter's breath. I suppose conceptually, not much has changed since before everything. Contextually, we used to be a race of civility. Or at least we like to pretend to be. It all depends on which book you read, should you have stumbled upon any. I'd happened upon a history book months ago, the pages still mostly intact. Death walked the streets in plain sight in those days as well. A heart attack could take the life of anyone, but back then people understood why. There was always almost an explanation, a medical explanation. Today, no one cares anymore for explanations. Things are as they are because there is nothing else. There is no other way. The dust has fallen onto the bones, and the bones, too, will one day turn to dust. And so all there is left is to trudge through it all. In Bransford, the rules are simple. The town is in control, and as long as it remains as such, the walls will never fall. That's the message we're given. The townsfolk don't seem to care, and honestly, neither do I. I came here almost a year ago, and stayed only because that one rule has never been broken and there'd never been a reason to be truly afraid that it could be. The guards were up there, up along the wall at all times, and none of the various creatures of the wastelands ever came close enough to the walls to warrant any reprisive gunfire. 
From the moment of my arrival, I passed myself off as a Selswood, an escort, a hireable hand, just someone who accepts payment for the uncloth services people sometimes require. There were a lot of us in the world, scattered and not very cheap most of the time. I was good at it, and it got me this far in life, so I just kept doing it. The highest bidders were usually older men who could barely walk anymore, or middle-aged junkies who'd run out of whatever their current addiction at the time was, who needed me to go out into the wastelands and collect. People tended to frown upon me for being so carefree, saying I shouldn't reinforce their habits. But they were dying anyway, so all I was doing was speeding up the process. I'd say something along the lines of, they'll be dead soon. And that just means an increase in your rations. So if you think about it, I'm really doing you a favor. Or I wouldn't say anything at all, because sometimes ignoring people and their mindless banter was the better of choices. One day down the line, they'd probably be, be coming to me with a request rather than an insult. It was just better for business, a form of job security, to remain quiet. My silence was my own personal down payment for the future income. Business had been light, though, in recent days. I had enough money to get by, to trade for a drink or the occasional meat on a stick. I suppose I was beginning to grow bored. With That boredom came with an increase of apathy. A lack of purpose inspired the hairs on my head and chin to turn grey. A lack of care added wrinkles to my cheeks and forehead. That wasn't all. My old bones had begun to hurt, the joints more specifically. In the places where the bones met the other bones, those too never seemed to stop hurting. And my muscles weren't what they used to be. On nights that I did sleep, when morning came, I'd have to stretch for half an hour before even thinking about taking a walk. I'd never make it otherwise, no matter where I was going. So when Billy Hargrave came to me to the bar on a Thursday morning asking for my services, I laughed at him because Hal, he was just a kid, and I was probably too old to be doing this gig anymore anyway. My first thought I had that morning was how I should be thinking about retirement. Get out while the going's good. Maybe die in my sleeping bag fast asleep. Oh, Hal, who was I kidding? How old are you, kid? I asked him. Eleven. But what does that matter? Because you look like you're nine, not eleven. Besides that, I'm not sure your parents would be too happy about it. Ain't got no parents, he said. I gave him the corner of my eye to let him know I wasn't totally ignoring him. Dad went out there looking for water. When he didn't come back, my mum went looking for him. She didn't come back either. So they just left you? Poor little nine-year-old to fend for yourself? My dad taught me some stuff. I don't think I could handle myself out there alone, but I've been okay here. Plus, I've had peaches to keep me company. And I said I was 11. I know that's what you said, but that doesn't necessarily make it true. I'm 56, and I'd like to think I'm still in my 40s, but it feels more like I'm in my 70s most days. See what I mean? And peaches? I couldn't help but chuckle almost so hard that the screws holding the bar stool together squeaked. Like the fruit? Didn't think fruit was abundant around these parts. Pine cones, maybe. Not peaches. My dog. His name is Peaches. The boy Billy 
went on to illustrate his little problem. Peaches was dying, or at least, or at the very least, very sick. The dog could still walk, but very slowly, and when he slept it was always a task getting him to wake up again. I told Billy very few dogs are even worth saving when they get to that phase. It's best just to let them die, and even better to kill them just to stop the suffering from intensifying. I told him that even if this veterinarian, veterinarian existed, the chances of travelling that far across the wastes without promise of safety and reprise were... There aren't any chances, I said to him. Even in my prime, I don't think I could do it. There's just too much room for nasty, ugly death. Billy was adamant, though. He was sure I could do it, and that I was without a doubt the only one who could. He said he'd heard stories of my ex exploits from people in town. I told him the stories were obviously being embellished if they convinced him that I was reliable. I told him I didn't have a problem killing anyone, if that's what I had to do, and I'd done it plenty. Problem was, these days most was mostly my reflexes. I told him I could barely swat a fly with the intention of killing it. The dog is all I have left, he said finally. He's still young, and I know he's got years left, but he's sick, and he won't make it unless we get him to the doctor. What makes you think this doctor even exists? You've listened to stories about me, apparently. Is that how you heard about him? My father used to talk about him. It's where he's from, originally. And my father ne never ever told me a lie, not once. Not even when he left town. He told me he might not make it back, and that I would have to look after my mother. When my mother left, she told me to look after Peaches. How much you got on you? I asked him, half entertaining the notion of his request. But still, there's no way. Never would I ever do what he wanted. Everything my parents had, Billy said. They worked for the town council, so when they both died, the higher members kept their share. But my dad was smart. He hid a stash. It took me a while, but I, I counted it all. I'll, I'll give you all of it, which will be in the thousands, minus the cost of the veterinarian requires. Suddenly the deficit of... Work I'd have been experiencing was gone in a blink. Hell, I didn't have to care about the dog or the boy. If neither of them made it, chances are I'd find a way back home and even then I'd still get paid. I spun 90 degrees in my bar stool, facing the boy. You have a shake on anything? He looked down at his hand and held it out, but his arm was too straight, like a plank. Boy had a lot to learn, sure. But he also had money. It had been hard... Hard bet to be sure when the next time I'd be presented with an offer so profitable. The wastes are a dangerous place, boy. Your dad wasn't kidding you, I said, slowly holding out my hand. There's a chance both of us might not make it to where you want us to go. I wrapped my hand around his and gave a light squeeze, and he winched. It's not just junkies and racists and cannibals out there. Not just the creatures or the monsters. The world itself is cruel and hungrier than ever. anything that walks on two or more legs. Do you understand? Now, I can't promise your safety, even with your high offer. I'm sorry, I'm not God. But what I can promise you is 
if we get in a pinch, and it looks more than certain that she'll be taken for use in some of the more depraved lust these gangs out there thirst for, I'll pull a, put a bullet in your head quicker than you can beg for your mama. Do you understand that? Yes, he said. That's a lie, but a brave one, I said. Maybe even a stupid one. Hey, Mr. Mahoney, the goddamn mayor who, whoever he... Whenever he saw me coming down the street, he was only it was only because he was looking specifically for me. This guy had on had his tussle with the outside world, at least on paper and posters and storybooks, anything to get him elected twice in a goddamn row. But at some point during our relationship, I got to figuring it that all, if not most of, that was just bullshit, and he knew it too. Part of my pocket money money was based on him. He's paying for my silence. I never would have said anything, of course. Stirring the political pot was not my idea of discount coupon at the fun buffet. I didn't care about what lies he had to sell in order to get to where he was. He had a nice head of hair on him, though. I'll give him that. Currently, the bastard stood outside his office on the porch. A building made up of metal slabs and wooden planks held together by some pretty good leather and mortar working by some of the guys in town. Guys who are no longer alive since before I first arrived in Bransford. Last winter, the building actually started to lean to the right and leaned all the way just over as we were fixing, fixing to get it fixed. A good hunk of the thing got old mare plumb right in the ankle, giving him the limp he has to this day. Every so often, if he was sitting down, he'd wince and moan on the way to his feet, spitting out some rep- reminiscent sonnet about the time his office nearly killed him. What he could possibly want now, well, that couldn't exactly be a misery, mystery. Word by now, or some variation of it, about little Billy asking for my services would have reached his ear the second Billy approached me while I was having that drink. You sure you want to go and do that? Damn, I was good. What do you mean exactly? There was a small part of me that enjoyed playing dumb. Occasionally the tactic came with its rewards in the form of a tiny morsel of personality trait from its intended victim. It wasn't a stupid thing to keep as many pieces of everyone's mind stowed away. You never know when a little bit of knowledge might save your life. Billy, the Hargrave kid. You know as well as as I do, going out there now is suicide. You've heard the reports. The gangs are brewing, and there's no just t- telling where he's safe out there. You'd be escorting that kid to his death, and yours too, most likely. Maybe, I said, taking a sip from a small bottle of whiskey, licking my lips. The real tragedy of life was that whiskey didn't even burn anymore. It made me shake my head sometimes, but I still drank it. I like because I like the taste. You know what I do for a living? I don't mean to sound greedy or poor, but I need the money. He's paying good. There's rumors going around that these gangs are Iron Bransford. Biggest assembly of villainy and dis- discreet macabre ever cited. Gangs from all over, from the north, the south, hell, even way out east, where, well, where the worst of them come from. 
They're pinching the nerves tighter and harder every day. And if that's all true, I'm going to need you here. You got more than one man here who can hold a gun. They can hold a gun, sure. Mayor Plumpin laughed, scratching his belly. Most of them can't shoot for shit. Not my problem. You should have hired the cops like I proposed three months ago. They could have trained them all into near clones of my talent. But nah, you had to be cheap. Well, I... Mayor Plumpin. I started drinking another mouthful. Do you trust my opinion? Only if you don't tell anyone, he said. I'm going to take this boy upper, upper ways, north. I won't be back for a while. By the time I get back, this place will either be still standing, or I'll only find bodies of the parts of the bodies they don't like. Now these gangs, they aren't known to be too wasteful when it comes to their killing, so I doubt I'll find much. But if I find that you've hidden yourself away in that bunker of... of yours like a goddamn coward that you are, I'll end you so you can't go on to help find another settlement and lead it off to a similar faith. If you want to defend this place and these people, you know what you have to do, but I'm a-going. I started to walk away. I didn't care to look at the son of a bitch any longer than I had to. Mayor Plumpin called out to me, but I didn't owe him anything anymore. Can't recall I time I ever really did owe him anything. It took some time, mostly spending my bed laying in the dark and thinking, but I'd really made up my mind about this boy and his dog. Billy said the dog could walk, but only very slowly, so he didn't have to do any carrying. But when it came time to leave and we met at the front gate, Billy already looked like an overpacked mule. His backpack was bigger than him and packed with items so tightly that he looked like every step he took would be the step to make him topple over. I said essential items. Only, kid. And that's what I bought. I pressed a pointer finger against the side of his pack and gave it the slightest of pushes. Billy's knees might have completely buckled if I gave him my full strength. But honestly, I wasn't sure what that full strength was anymore. These bones and muscles, you know, old and getting older. Okay, that's the end of the first chapter of uh, Mercy, the novella Mercy, uh, by Dave Mathers. I hope you enjoyed that reading. Um, next episode, we will be reading the next chapter, which is called Wasteland. So, um, thank you for listening today. Thank you for joining me. I hope you... Um, I hope you come back and listen to the rest of the story. And once again, thank you to a couple of people. Thank you to Dave for uh, giving me permission to read. And thank you to Feral Publications for the sponsorship of this show. Okay, and thank you to you for listening. Um, I will be with you next episode. Until then, keep safe. Uh, And in this time, um, wash your hands as well. Okay, uh, thank you very much and goodbye.